The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Podcast. As always, Nate and Chris in the studio in Garage Mahal, our domain, our bat cave, if you will. Our lair. Our lair. Fortress of Solitude. Fortress of Solitude's bat good. Cave. Lair never feels right, but it feels I'm okay like with villains it. if if we call it if we say we're in a lair, right? Well, we are rebels. Or a hideout. Yeah, that's true. hideout is a great one. <laughs> it's our hideaway. It's our hideout, Garage Mahal. We're the Rebels. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad to have you guys here. Please check us out on our website, which is rebelalliancemedia.com, where we also have podcasts with the Awakening Reformation podcast. They also do the Fathers of Faith podcast. And check out our blogs that come out on Facebook every week. That was like the most awkward feeling intro of all time, but <laughs> take it away, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, find us on on social media. You know what we'd actually love? We'd, we'd love for you, if you've been a longtime listener, to go onto the Facebook page and actually just invite some of your friends who you think should be listening to Rebel Alliance to like the page. They start seeing the content that gets pushed out. Uh, we're really, really thankful for all the support and feedback and help that we've had over the last little while. So thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Lots of cool things are happening. We're going to start off with some rebel news today, and we just kind of wanted to focus on one thing today, and that was the Gosnell movie. Um, So for those of you who haven't heard, uh, there's a movie that uh, came out on the 12th of October that you should have seen if you're in the States. It hasn't been released, though it's uh, uh, told to be coming to Canada in early November, so keep your eyes out for that. But it's, uh, it's this movie, it's the Gosnell movie. So uh, the the most prolific American serial killer that you've never heard of is a guy by the name of Kermit Gosnell, and he was an abortion doctor. And uh, just recently, his his trial was in 2013, and uh, you likely don't know his name because it wasn't covered by the media. Uh, it wasn't uh, a big deal, n- newsworthy, even though he is the most prolific serial killer the America has ever seen. And uh, essentially, what this guy was doing was um, actually inducing labor having women um, uh, give birth to at, t- at sometimes stillborn, um, but uh, many times live babies uh, at uh, 24, 28, 30, 32, uh, is as late as 40 weeks, um, and who uh, he induced labor, took them out of, uh, of the woman and, uh, and snipped their spinal columns and killed them. And so um, the movie just depicts this, this horrible... Uh, 
gruesome scene and and the trial that came afterwards. And again, the media didn't cover it, any of that kind of stuff. But uh, um, but what you see actually is that the defense, the the attorneys who are defending uh, Kermit Gosnell were making the case that he was just doing outside of the womb what every abortion doctor does inside the womb. And so it really sheds a dark light on the whole industry of abortion. Um, first of all, Chris, had you ever heard of, of this before the movie uh, became a thing? No, the first time I ever ever was even brought this to my attention was you telling me about the movie that was coming out. Yeah. Um, I think it was like even like that week before it came out, you, you mentioned it and said, have you ever heard this name? And I was like, no, I've never heard this name. So much so that like my wife is into true crime. Like she watches true crime documentaries. She's into like learning about it. She reads about this, uh, about this stuff, not in a pro way, but like she, she's interested in it. And she has never, never seen a show, never anybody talked about this person at all. And I like, so I only say that to say that. Like even people who are kind of into this is not in this. And to say that your wife is into serial killers is kind of a weird thing to say, but, but she is like fascinated by the stories and, and uncovering and and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's what, that's kind of what I was getting at. And so then I took, I took after we talked about it, I went to like some podcasts that I listened to or that I I'm aware of. I don't listen to them, but um, that are true crime podcasts just to see if they'd ever done an episode on this guy. Radio silence across the board. In fact, I, it was actually not even on the first page of my Google when I searched his name. Yeah. Now, in fairness, I didn't spell his first name right, but, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, it, but just putting in his last name didn't bring him up until after the movie was released. Yeah. So it it is it's 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 crazy how much the story was not covered, um, and that and the the movie actually gets into that. But um, so what's really interesting though is that this movie, because I think it is such a uh, it's interesting because it's not released as a pro-life film. It's really just released as the story of this guy, uh, what he did, and the trial that came afterwards. Yeah, a convicted yeah, felon. For convicted. This, right? Yeah, convicted. Like, yeah, yeah. He also the thing that, I, I'm just to make everybody aware, he ki- he was an abortion doctor who killed who killed babies, but he also killed one woman too. Yeah. Um. So like it it wasn't like he just. Like he, he did just kill babies, but he yeah. also killed another well, woman. And he so was convicted for their murders as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, this isn't a guy who's like, we're often one saying, wait till somebody's proven guilty. This guy is proven guilty. Yeah, he's yeah. never getting out of jail. Yeah. He's, yep. He's in jail and for nothing, life. And yep. nothing was mentioned. <laughs> and, and again, like with, with the culture's fascination with, you know, uh, Gacy and you know you know all all of these um, serial murders, the Zodiac Killer. Like how many movies have been made on this? And and yet, like you said, Radio Silence on this particular one. And and he really is the uh, the tagline of the movie is the trial of America's biggest serial killer. He really is. Um, so just a, a couple of things that I find interesting. So if first of all, like when you hear like top box office movie, yada yada yada, um, like Avengers and stuff like that, they're generally playing on somewhere between forty five and five thousand screens across the U S. Right. So like. They're in a lot of theaters. This movie only got picked up by 668 theaters across uh, America. And yet, despite that, which it is was nothing. A, yeah, which is nothing. Despite that, it was a top 10 film in its first week of release. Um, in fact, it was as high as six, uh, sixth uh, highest uh, grossing films in certain states and as low as ninth. And uh, what's interesting is that um, of the 668 theaters that picked it up, 188 dropped it in its first week. 
And of those 188 that dropped it, in 15 of those theaters, it was their highest grossing movie. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like if you just look at some of the backlash for this, so like Facebook refused to run ads for the movie, yeah, paid that... for ads by the movie. Twitter took ads down um, off their site for the movie. Um, uh, Google has now been accused of um, algorithms that uh, that wouldn't allow people to search for the movie. Um, there there are even certain uh, Cineplex um, and and certain theaters that are now being accused of actually not allowing people to buy tickets online. Um, there are a couple. There are a couple stories. Like if you go on, you can just Google these things, and there are stories of people who went bought tickets to go to the theater. They go to the theater only to find out that the movie had been canceled and they weren't showing it. And so theaters who kind of picked up the movie maybe didn't do their homework, realized what it was, or maybe an employee or somebody told them something, and people then couldn't go see the movie. It's, it's just amazing how much opposition this movie has faced. Well, it's it's. What's interesting about that, it's it's opposition, but it's opposition despite the fact that people who are seeing it are, are actually well, it's well received. It currently, I looked at it right now on Rotten Tomatoes, has an, has an audience score of 98%. Wow. So people, people actually watch people it. People who are watching it want to see it. Now, one of the reviews says it's a snoozer, it's not a great movie. I can't comment on the movie. Yeah, we I actually, we haven't seen it. It's not released in Canada. Yeah. Um, but people who have seen it are rating it highly. And now I know the skepticism there will say, well, pro-life people are the ones wanting to say that. And I, I, so what I wanted to talk about with this is the idea that Facebook has banned this from being publicly said based on the fact that it's political speech, not, and it's just like, okay, so what about Trevor Noah? I can't turn on my Facebook right Right, now without seeing some clip of his daily show talking about what Trump's done. Yeah. And it was like, that's political speech. He's directly talking about politics, but we don't ban that because Facebook's a liberal yeah. organization who agrees with that. Yeah. But one thing that comes out that's political speech, and I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat, it's obviously political speech, even though it's because it's talking about the abortion. And let's be honest, abortion is a political, it yeah. is a political thing yeah. in, in the United States and in Canada. It is political speech. It's right, but it's there. And, but Facebook is taking that taking that down because it disagrees with their mandate have we ever seen a more blatant here's where where we plant our flag from yeah. a from a supposedly neutral company it blows my mind yeah so um, we say all this just to make you aware and to say you wherever you are whoever you are that is listening first of all when it comes to Canada and we've um, I've I've emailed with the um, the the PR people uh, that you get through the um, contact information on the website um, who have said that it's uh, they have contracts with theaters in Canada it should be releasing in the first or second week of November. So many of our listeners are from Southwestern Ontario like we are. And if that's you, um, contact them. Find out the list of um, theaters that it's playing at. In fact, if, if we can get a hold of that list, we'll put it out uh, for our Southwestern Ontario listeners. Um, but wherever you are, Contact them, see if they're releasing it near you, and see if it's still playing if you're in America and in theaters near you. Buy tickets. And I would say don't even just go yourself. If you're if you're in a particular if you're in a position to be able to buy tickets for other people, I've already reached out to friends and family members who I know I disagree with on this and, and said, Hey, our treat will take you to the movie if you'll just come see this movie with us. And, and I would say, like, go go and do that. It's not a pro life film. All it does is tell the truth. And in this particular case, the truth is on our side. <laughs> and so um, I, I, would, I would say, you know, do what you can to get as many people in front of this movie as you can. To support it, 
to help it with all of its obstacles and to see it yourself because I think it'll uh, shed some light on uh, on the whole issue for you. Absolutely. Okay, so that's what we wanted to chat about with Rebel News. We are still in the middle of our parable series, and today is the big one. Uh, we're going to be talking about the mustard seed and the leaven, uh, parables of Jesus that uh, we, we're really passionate about. So stay tuned the, after the, this break. The big one. The big one. Uh, and we'll talk about mustard seeds. You've seen those signs and billboards saying, advertise here. Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? rebelalliancemedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmer's. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. All right, we're back, and uh, we are going to be talking today in our parable series about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, so this is in Matthew chapter 13. If you're not in the car and you're in a position where you can pull up your Bible or your device, uh, feel free to c- go along with us here. If you are in the car, then uh, just listen to the soothing sound of Pudi's voice as he reads <laughs> Matthew 13, uh, verses uh, 31 to 33. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All right. Okay, so this is kind of uh, the big one. When I've taught on the kingdom of God, um, I often call it the mustard seed kingdom. Uh, When our church did uh, a series through the book of Matthew, we were in Matthew for a couple of years, just preaching verse by verse through the book of Matthew, that series was called the kingdom of God because uh, when it summarizes in Matthew chapter four, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, he kind of says he went around to all the towns in and around Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so I don't think, whether it's in the gospels or in the book of Acts, you can separate the gospel itself, the message that Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God so that we can be in relationship with him uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I don't think you can separate that gospel from the message of the kingdom. That's why the, the book of Matthew talks about the kingdom of God in this way. And so here we are, and just to give the context that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, Matthew chapter 12 comes along, and Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees. 
as he does throughout the book of Matthew. <laughs> and uh, and so in chapter 12, he's accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, by the power of Satan. And he uh, goes into uh, talking about the kingdom and the clash of kingdoms and his kingdom versus Satan's kingdom in that first parable that we talked about in our series. And then it's interesting because he talks to the Pharisees and it's very clear in that clash and elsewhere in Matthew that one of the main... Uh, issues that the Pharisees have with Jesus is that he is a, he is uh, as the Messiah is that he hasn't brought the kingdom in the way that they expected, right? They expected a conquering kingly Messiah like David who would come restore physical national Israel to a place of prominence, um, overthrow Rome, liberate them and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, they, they kind of expected the, um, the kingdom to, I don't know, just materialize or kind of drop out of the air or whatever, that it would somehow miraculously be, be brought in, in, in its fullness. And, uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, Jesus, I think, he has this confrontation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't get it. They reject him as the Messiah. And in Matthew 13, right before he goes into all of these parables that teach his disciples about the kingdom, I think what he's doing is essentially showing his disciples, I know that you had that expectation as well. So let me teach you what the kingdom is really like. And one of the things that we kept saying through our series in Matthew was that Jesus brought the kingdom on time and as planned, but he brought it in seed form and it's in the process of growing. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we believe that Jesus brought the kingdom because Matthew chapter 12 says, if it's by the power of God that I cast out demons, and we know that is exactly how Jesus cast out demons. If it is by the power of God that I cast out demons, then you know that the kingdom has come upon you. So we know that he brought the kingdom, but because the kingdom isn't, doesn't seem like it's in full bloom. I mean, the kingdom isn't covering the whole earth, the, the kingdom, you know, the, uh, there are still unregenerate people who have bowed the knee to King Jesus. You know, what does it look like? Well, Jesus brought the, the kingdom in seed form. And that seed has been in the, in the process of expansion since the moment it came. And that's what I think he's teaching his disciples through Matthew, through the entire chapter of Matthew 13. And so these two parables in particular teach that idea of a mustard seed kingdom, a, a seed that came, a kingdom that came as a seed rather. So a kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And, and you know, just a, as a small matter that your, you know, your study Bible probably says, a mustard seed would have been the smallest of the types of seeds that would have been local in that area. Um, and Jesus is saying this, and yet this small seed, the smallest of all the seeds, um, that that these agricultural you know individuals would have been familiar with grows into the biggest tree of all of them. So essentially, what he's saying is that the the kingdom of God starts out small, but it grows to be bigger than any other competing kingdom, and it saturates the entire world. That's exactly kind of the the big idea of these these parables here. Um, and I think that this is something that Jesus, uh, that the, all of scripture teaches. This is kind of, this is how God seems to, to operate, um, right? He, he, he seems to operate in this, in this slow, gradual expanse. Even when you think about how God revealed his plan of redemption, right? When you think about covenantal theology and all these kinds of things, God re, uh, revealed his, his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, uh, his covenant in a progressive sort of way. He, he unfolded a bit to Abraham and, and a bit more to Moses. And it's all the, the covenant that God keeps with his people, but he does it gradually. 
And you think about many times throughout the Old Testament when, you know, uh, the, the, the people of God are looking. There's that, that famous verse, and I think it's Deuteronomy 7, when, you know, the people of God are, are crying out to God, basically saying, like, there's a bunch of tribes around us, and they're more numerous than we are, and they're going to attack us. You promised to give us this land. Like, why are the, there still enemies here? And God's response to them is, I'm going to drive these enemies out slowly, not all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals will rise up and be too much for you. And, and he's teaching them this principle of taking land slowly, bit by bit. And I think that's exactly what he's trying to teach his apostles about the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're spot on with that because I think we, we, have, we just have a tendency, humanity has a tendency to think here and now, not long term, yeah. not down the road. So we always look at everything as of, as of right now. So with these verses, we have a tendency to think of this as how sanctification works in us. God plants a seed in our heart. It grows until we're fully Christian at glorification. In in one part, yes, that's exactly what happens, but that's not what these verses are specifically talking about because right. he's in the middle of him talking about the kingdom like we've already talked about. God has been God all the all the way through his his will his through his word as you said has been progressively revealing this stuff to us and we can see this idea played out in some of those stories if you think you mentioned Abraham well Abraham was one man and Sarah so one couple through them a great nation would be bo- would be born that was the promise to Abraham right same idea started very small got very big right same idea here. The kingdom of God starts. And let's let's look back on, on it and go through history really briefly, quickly. There was one man named yep. Jesus. And now there's how many Christians in the world? Yeah, millions. Millions. And over time, over 2,000 years since, since the ascension, there's been probably billions of Christians. Right. You can't say it hasn't. You can't say it hasn't grown because it's it's one of those things. It's it's progressively growing as it as it goes. We just look at everything and think, hey, it needs to be fully grown right now. And what does fully grown look like? Well, we we don't see that in these verses specifically. We just know that it dominates the world. The language here is that the tree will become larger than anything else. So, and if we're using the analogy, the kingdom of God will be larger than anything else that people could see. Yep. So large so that the enemies of God, in this case the birds as they <laughs> would be able to branch and nest in there in in the in the leaves on this massive mighty kingdom that that has been created. Leaven, when it takes over bread, it fully takes over bread. You can't have half leaven and unleavened. Like it's right. it, it fully dominates. Exactly. It, it fully, <laughs> that's a great word for it. It <laughs> infiltrate it infiltrates the world. And I think that's what we're seeing in these verses when we look at at this idea of the of the mustard seed. We we have a tendency, I, I realize I said this already, but we have a tendency to think, well, that can't be what it means because I don't see it in its full finality right now. We actually have the exact same problem the Israel, like the Jews and the apostles had until we start looking at the word of God of thinking, well, the kingdom isn't here yet, but Jesus says it is. It's just a growing kingdom. Just like your toddler grows into a full grown adult. Well, you're, nobody would look at a 10-year-old and say it's a fully grown functioning thing, right? Right. I think, yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, God has given us these principles throughout nature. Um, and this kind of goes back to if you, if you were around for our very first um, lesson in the parables, um, 
our first podcast rather in the parables, uh, you heard me tell the story of Menachem, who is my is- Israeli tour guide. And, and this was his, this was his reason why, when I asked him why he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Jewish, Jewish Messiah, he said, because Jesus didn't bring the kingdom. And so here's a modern day Jew who still is stumbling on the same thing that the Pharisees stumbled on all those years ago. And that is Jesus didn't bring the kingdom, therefore he can't be the Messiah. And I think that's to misunderstand the kingdom parables that Jesus is teaching because he did bring the kingdom. And, and this really is throughout scripture. If you think about, um, and, and maybe one of our listeners, uh, one of your homework assignments for this week would be go and read Daniel chapter two In Daniel chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he has a dream that only Daniel can interpret. And the dream is about a statue with a head of gold and a chest of silver and a mid middle and, and upper thighs of bronze and, uh, and bottom of his legs and feet of, uh, iron and clay. And it's interesting because when, when, uh, Daniel interprets the dream, um, so this is Daniel chapter two, verse 36, he says, this was the dream. So he told Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed because Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to reveal the contents of his dream, uh, afraid that somebody would just make up an interpretation in order to get a reward. So he, he called on all the magi and the magicians and all these kinds of people, uh, the soothsayers, if you will, tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And only Daniel was able to do that. And only Daniel was able to do it because he serves the living God. But verse 36, uh, Daniel says, this was the dream. Now we will tell you uh, the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom. So notice that each of these sections of the statue represent a kingdom. That's, that's noteworthy. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there should be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks uh, to pieces and shatters all things like iron that crushes. It shall break and crush all of these. Uh, And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of its firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you uh, saw iron mixed with soft clay. And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. So many scholars um, have looked at these four kingdoms, right, as the the Babylonians and then the the, uh, Assyrians and then the uh, Greeks, and then finally the fourth kingdom being the kingdom, uh, the Roman Empire. So these are kind of the four. I think Doug Wilson actually has a book called The Four Kingdoms That Ruled the World, or The Four Empires That Ruled the World, or something like that. Um, and he talks about the interpretation of Daniel chapter 2. And uh, and so, so then, here's, here's what it continues to say, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. So in that day, that is, he's talking about the fourth kingdom. In the days of the fourth kingdom, God himself is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall be stand forever. Just as you saw that, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hands. In other words, God himself made this stone, right? He cut it out, not by human hands. And that it broke to pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God 
has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. Now, when you go up to the interpretation, it talks about that stone that was cut out that smashes the fourth kingdom. It says, becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So when you look at the interpretation of this dream, what it means is that there are these four kingdoms, right? That and, and historically, you can just go through and talk about the Babylonians and the, uh, the Syrians under Cyrus and the Greeks under Alexander and, of course, the, the empire of Rome. And these four empires really were the empires that from that point on ruled the known world. And Jesus came in the, in the midst, in the time of the fourth kingdom, right? He came and, and the Romans were uh, ruled. In fact, he was put to death by the Romans um, and the Jews. And it was during that time that Jesus came and declared from Matthew chapter 12, the kingdom of God is, is at hand. Then you know the kingdom has come upon you. So the, the fulfillment of this dream in Daniel chapter 2 was the fact that Jesus is the one, the stone, right? And he's called the cornerstone, right, that everything is built on. He's the cornerstone. And this stone breaks to pieces the, the fourth kingdom. In other words, Jesus comes, sets up a kingdom that sets itself against the kingdom of man, and what's in, interesting is that throughout the New Testament, we just studied the book of Acts as a church. And, you know, the, the, even the very words, um, Jesus is Lord, flies in the face of the, the, the uh, verbiage, Caesar is Lord, which was the, the common sort of um, uh, hail to Caesar at the time. When, when Peter stands before the council and he says, there's no, under, no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, but the name Jesus Christ, he's actually taking words from the coronation of Caesar and, and applying them to Jesus. When, um, when uh, Paul and, and Silas are, are accused of turning the world upside down in Acts chapter 17, um, it, they say that these men are teaching against the decrees of Caesar, turning the world upside down and saying that there's another king king jesus and so jesus really does come in and defy the fourth kingdom defy caesar and it is christianity that really kind of brings it brings about the the end to uh rome and so and in that time jesus uh brings a kingdom and it starts off as that stone and then it it becomes a mountain that daniel says fills the entire earth so it, there's just you know one one other thing that points to this principle that Jesus is now teaching in Matthew 13, and that is the kingdom has come. It's come in seed form, but it's in the process of growing and expanding until it covers the whole earth. Uh, another f verse that we can look at is Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine. It's a famous Christmas verse, right? And it's uh, it, it talks about you know uh, until the child is born, yada yada yada, and it says. Um, that he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's where many of us end. But then it says, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And if you look at the, if you look at the, the grammar there, if you look at the original, the increase is tied to, or the, uh, the, the never-ending, the everlasting attribute of the kingdom isn't tied to the kingdom itself or the government itself, but the increase, right? It's of the increase, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So Jesus comes, the government will be on his shoulders, it says, and his government, his rule, his reign, his kingdom will grow and of its increase. In other words, it, it will never stop expanding. It doesn't stop expanding. It expands and it expands until what? until it's the mighty tree that dwarfs every other kingdom, until it's the leaven that's worked its way through the whole loaf, until it's uh, the stone that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So this is, this is just 
straight post-millennial goodness <laughs> <laughs> woven into Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus is teaching, I think, very, very clearly about the kingdom of God and its expansion. It's so good once it hits your lips. Yeah, right? it's like, so good when it hits your it's lips. It's so good. No, I, I, I think, Drink I think, it in, Westmoreborn. <laughs> drink, <laughs> drink it in. That's so good. I, I, think, I think the pushback. So like what yep. people would naturally say is be like, that seems like we're reading a lot into one verse. Yeah. I think, I think that's what people who are only listening to this podcast are going to think. And so I think, I think let's take some, a little bit of time just to show that this isn't a new idea to a Jewish audience who Jesus is speaking to. This is going to remind them a lot of what has been spoken about in, in the Pentateuch spoken about in the old Testament throughout a whole bunch of different things. So I'll start at one of the, one of the verses we can go back pretty far. Numbers 14, 20 through 21 says, and then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to my, to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. What's the, what's the language there? All the world will be filled with the glory. And, and notice the other thing is that he swears by his name, right? So like he says, as surely as I live, in other words, if I'm lying, I die. Right, he's swearing on himself, just like he did with the covenant to, with Abraham. Is he's saying this is going to happen, and I swear by my own name. Yeah, which we we can all make promises, but we uh, when God, when God makes a promise, he makes it on and he makes it on himself. It can't be broken. Yeah. So this is going to happen. Yeah. How about this one, Malachi chapter one verse eleven? For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So incense, right, is a form of worship is what people use to honor their God. And so he's saying everywhere incense will be lifted up in my name, everywhere, all over the earth, not just in Israel, everywhere. Daniel 7, I love this one. This is one of my favorite post-mill verses and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom mm-hmm. to all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So we're talking about now not just Israel, all of the Gentiles, everybody grafted in. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, again, using the same words here, yep. and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Think about, think about the world today now. We would look at this and be like, well, the kingdom of God looks like it's being defeated all over the place. Right. We already talked about in this in this podcast, Facebook, pro-life is political speech. We're taking it down. Yep. Looks like defeat. God is promising, no matter what, that his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed, can't be defeated. Yep. Because like the, par- like the parable says, it's growing and you can't stop growth. It's yeah, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Exactly. The increase keeps going. How about Zechariah chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 10? It says, uh, I will cut the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut down, and he shall speak peace. So he's talking about the time of the Messiah. He, the Messiah, Jesus, shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the earth, river to the ends of the earth. So again, Jesus, who did not see peace among the nations in his lifetime, but he came, he set up the kingdom. The kingdom is in process of growing and once fully bloomed, that kingdom will know peace and that he shall rule from sea to sea and to, from the river to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. One, one last one that I think, at least one more, I don't know. We could just read scripture for the rest of the podcast, but <laughs> keep going. Psalm 22, 
fairly fair, fairly familiar uh, passage of scripture. Yeah, all it's the all ends about, of- it's, and and yeah, and Psalm so Psalm twenty two. Just for those of you who are listening, um, Psalm twenty two is all about the um, the crucifixion of Jesus. Right. This is this is where uh, the crucifixion Absolutely. of Jesus is prophesied through the mouth of the prophet David um, in Psalm twenty two. But go to the end of it. It doesn't just talk about the crucifixion. It talks about the result of the crucifixion. So go ahead, go ahead, Chris. I just need to get that in there. <laughs> no problem. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. I love that part, and turn. We'll remember and turn. Because we all know it, we've all suppressed it. We'll turn back. And all the families and nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Again, like you said, this is talking about Jesus after the crucifixion. Everybody will turn. Everybody will remember and bow before him. Yeah. And I mean, you can keep going, right? Um, Psalm 72 talks about uh, that he shall have dominion from sea to sea into the ends of the earth and that all the nations will come before him. Uh, you can look at Isaiah 42 that talks about giving Christ as a co- as the covenant and that all the ends of the earth will, um, right? He says, I think it's in Isaiah 42, verse 6. Uh, he says, I've called you in my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you, talking about his his chosen one, his anointed, his Messiah, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring the prisoners out of their dungeon. I am the Lord, uh, your, uh, I am the Lord your God, and all will serve me. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise to the ends of the earth. And he goes through, uh, you can look at Isaiah chapter 2, talking about all the nations flowing up to the mountain of God and God's law going forth from Zion, uh, settling disputes among the nations. You can look at Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 talks about the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Uh, right, Habakkuk two fourteen. The end of the earth will be f- uh, the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the God of God as the waters cover the sea. You want to go to a, a, a New Testament verse? How about Philippians two ten and eleven? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. So. This is not a concept that is located primarily in a parable and we're reading it an interpretation into it. The promise that God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, the promise that Christ's rule will be across the entire earth is just laced throughout scripture. And if you interpret it in such a way that pushes all of those very physical, temporal, visceral promises into some sort of eternal outside of history future you have to tell me how you do that because they're in the middle of verses that promise things about here and now psalm 22 promises what jesus will suffer here in history die uh, as a propitiation for our sins talking about that in history and then right from there it goes on to talk about the result of that and that is that all the ends of the earth will turn to god so If you interpret all of those promises, and we only read a handful of them because we don't have time on this podcast, if you push all of those into some distant future with no scriptural warrant to do so, I got to ask the question, why? Yeah. And and I think what Jesus was teaching his disciples in the actual text, in the actual parable that we're looking at, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Man took, sowed in his field. So, So again, what is the field? Jesus gave us the answer key for all these parables. The field is always the, the earth, right? It's the world. And so Jesus, so Jesus came, he planted the seed in the field. So he came, he set up the kingdom on earth, and then he ascended. And the 
the seed is now growing. And verse 32 says, the smallest of all seeds when it's grown is larger than all the other plants. So the kingdom of God grows to the point where it dwarfs every other plant. And then, it, and then interestingly, the birds of the air. Well, what do the birds of the air represent? The birds of the air, Jesus gave us the answer key. They represent the evil ones. So even the evil people in our in our world come and nestle in the branches of the kingdom because the kingdom grows to the point where it overcomes its enemies not by killing them but by converting them and and and, and bringing it into its its folds and then uh, you know the leaven it, leaven works through the entire loaf and what's interesting three measures of flour this is not a small loaf this is this is enough bread to feed an army and uh, and and so the whole point here is it's going to take a small amount of leaven, a long time to work through that much. But as you knead it and as you work it, it works its way through the entire loaf. So I, I don't think that there's any other way to read those parables other than Jesus brought the kingdom. He brought it in seed form. It's in the process of expanding. Over the course of the last 2,000 years, it's expanded to the point where we're now doing a God-glorifying podcast in Canada, as, you know, almost as far away as you can get from the Middle East. And here we are, a couple of white Canadians loving <laughs> the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, because the kingdom hasn't stopped expanding and won't stop expanding until it covers the whole earth. Amen with that. So I, I, think, I think that's... Fantastic way to look at these these chapters, and especially when we start talking about the fact that you you can't pick up the the Bible and not see this if you just read it plainly. I think that's I I loved when you said that, but like show me how you get yeah how you how you change this because it's so obvious once you start reading all the promises of God, all the things that he that he's mentioned. The, the one thing I love that also that again, post millennials get accused of this all the time. I yeah. I've been there yeah. when you get accused of this. <laughs> of the idea that we think that every single person in the world will be converted to Christianity and everybody will be perfect. Right. And it's like, this, this doesn't, this verse doesn't even say that. It doesn't say that there won't be any evil. It just right. says that the, the kingdom will, will be so far beyond right. what that evil looks like. It's small birds nesting in a massive tree. Right. So it doesn't mean there's no evil right. or anything like that. I think it's, that's something. It's a, it's a wheat field, right? It's a, it's a, it's a kingdom full of Christians with some tares in it. But yeah. it looks like a wheat field because there's a lot more wheat than there is tares. <laughs> exactly. And, and I mean, let's not, let's, we're not universalists by any means. Jesus very clearly says it's better for some that they weren't born. Hell is real. Eternal condemnation is real. People who die apart from Christ Absolutely. die and spend eternity in, in, in hell. Eternal conscious torment. We believe that. But... We also believe that the trajectory of what's happening in history on this rock is that Jesus will be, it, the, the, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth in such a way that it will be true to say, as 1 John 4 says, that Jesus is the savior of the whole world. And, 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 and you know, John 3.16, which we all love to quote, John 3.17 says, For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So language works in a particular way. If I said to, said to Chris, hey, you know, you should have been at uh, the Santa Claus parade last week because, all, you know, all of London was there. You know, language works in such a way that I could say that if there was a whole lot of people there, right? If, there, if it felt like there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, I'd be like, everybody was there. Well, Chris would be like, well, I wasn't there. But language works in such a way that I could say it seemed like everybody was there. Or, or we have a church event, right? We have a potluck and, and, you know, a hundred and some odd people show up. And I'm like, man, it was, everybody was there. 
And then, you know, one person gets offended and was like, well, I wasn't there. Am I, am I not somebody? <laughs> and language works in such a way that you can say those kinds of things. But what you can't say is when 10 people of a congregation of 200 show up and you say, oh, everybody was there. That's not how language works. And so all means all, right? And, and so you have to say when Jesus is savior of the whole world, it has to mean a majority. It has to mean yeah, language a means critical something. Mass type yeah. thing. And so that's what we're saying. And we don't know. And, and even post-millennials, we fall all over the map on this sort of thing. Uh, we, we would still need to, and maybe one day we'll wrestle on the podcast with uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which seems to indicate that the last enemy, that you know, the last enemy is death. And Jesus comes back and there's only one enemy left to defeat. Uh, but we could talk about that at another time. Next um, week. <laughs> um, I, I just want to throw out some application. Um, and so here's some application points that I think are, are helpful because we don't just want to throw out theology, although theology matters and uh, post-millennialists have the most fun. But um, here's some application for you. First of all, I would say don't be surprised if kingdom expansion is messy. Right? When you think about the, the period of the uh, Protestant Reformation, even like read the book of Acts. There's a whole lot of messiness. Like ask Ananias and Sapphira if, you know, if things got messy, right? Like, you know, and, uh, and there, there is a whole lot of messiness in the book of Acts. The, the, the church did not get things right. Stephen needed to be stoned and persecution needed to break out in Jerusalem just for the apostles to follow the Great Commission and leave Jerusalem once they'd received power. So kingdom expansion is messy, relational conflict in the church, sin, all of that kind of stuff is still part of it. Just like the Israelites taking the promised land was messy. It meant war, it meant battle, it meant death, it meant all of those kinds of things. So don't, be, don't, don't think that this is all going to happen without conflict, without difficulty. This is why Jesus said that the kingdom of God uh, is taken by violent men, right? There's a violence to it. There's a taking of it. There's a battle that's going on. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I would say, thank God for the growth that you can see. Like, like I said, we can all acknowledge that Jesus ascended in front of a, approximately 120 people um, that saw him ascending into the clouds. And from or there was 120 people in the upper room shortly after that worshiping. And then even after that, Pentecost happened, 3,000 people in the Middle East. And now look at us. Millions of people spread around the globe. You're listening to a podcast brought to you from Thamesford, Ontario. Um, spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Um, because uh, we can thank God for the kingdom growth that we can see. So I'd say thank God for the kingdom growth you can see and believe him for the kingdom growth that you can't see. We, we can all look out and, and accuse Facebook and look at the political divide in our countries and say, man, the, the world is a dark place. Look at the abortion. Look at Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Why? Because the knowledge of God's glory hasn't covered the earth like the waters cover the sea yet, but the Bible promises it will. So trust God for the, or thank God for the growth you can see and believe him for the, uh, what you can't. And then the last piece I would just say is think about this on a personal level, Right. Um, the, the passage that comes to mind is in John chapter 24, uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. 
So truly, truly, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So I would say the last piece of application is think of yourself as a seed to be sown rather than a life to be lived. We live in a, a what is it, YOLO culture? You only live once, right? Like, um, you know, you know, live for yourself, do what's best for you, do you, follow your heart, do what's best for me. Live your truth. Live your truth. All of that junk. And all that's doing is calling you to live a life that's centered on you. And, and we would say that the only significance any of our lives has is how much it reflects the eternal purposes of God in his kingdom. So we would say, think of yourself as a seed to be sown. Your life is meant to be spent on kingdom expansion. That's what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is Jesus commissioning his disciples to go get his inheritance. Psalm chapter 2. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Jesus turns around and says, go get me the nations. Go disciple them. Teach them obedience. So we're fulfilling that because our lives are, are, are seed to be sown rather than lives to be lived. And it, they should be about the king's business, not about our own business. So that's just some application points. We think this parable is immensely, immensely important for just understanding Jesus as the Messiah and understanding really God's eternal purposes for the earth. Yeah, I think I think this this parable was parable is almost like a a key to unlock a lot of what comes later. Totally. Like when when Jesus starts talking about in Matthew twenty four what we what we see coming down the road. I think I think this parable helps us understand a lot of that. This frames the reference totally. because Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. He's given us what the answers are here, and then we see that as we go forward. I really like the the last part of you said not to harp back to it, but the kingdom we we always forget that everything worth doing is usually difficult to do. Right. So when we expand something, when something grows, usually you have to go through all the dust and all the broken walls and re- having to rewire when you expand your house. But when it's finished, it's glorious. You That's know what right. I mean? and, that yep. this, and I think if we can keep that in our, in our minds, that our lives are about expanding a kingdom, that we might be living in a time that it looks very messy. Yeah then we can radically see this change when we, when we recenter our focus on that. I think that's great. Amen. Yeah. So hopefully this was helpful for you. Um, we, uh, we love, we love getting interaction from, uh, the people who are listening. So, uh, drop us a line, let us know what you think and, uh, and share this episode with a friend. We know that we know that a lot of the people who end up staying and listening to us are people who agree with us. Um, but, uh, but don't just let this be a, a pat on your back. If you agree with us, um, use this, send it to somebody. Uh, invite them to to see it tag them on the link whatever the case may be but get other people listening to this that it might challenge their interpretation of this or or maybe just a friend who has been so uh maybe overcome with fear of what the world is looking like and how dark they seem it seems to be getting uh tag them in this because ultimately the future is optimistic because god's promised a great and glorious end to his kingdom um so that's what we want to leave you with today thanks so much for following us we'll see you again next week bye guys